0: Isn't that the truth? Yeah. It is all about the gospel. All about the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> so happy to, to be here this morning and uh, to be able to, to bring the word to you. And uh, again, be praying for Pastor Tim as he, as he goes. And, but this morning, uh, as we look to the book of Acts, we continue continuing in uh, this sermon series. And last week, uh, Pastor Tim had covered... Um, Paul. we see that Paul is in, is in Ephesus, and uh, he's, he connects with some of the disciples that are there uh, who believe on the Lord Jesus, and, and then they're baptized. And uh, God is moving in a powerful way, and Paul enters the synagogue as he does over and over from city to city that he's going to, and uh, his message then is, is rejected, and he goes to uh, to the hall there, and he's sharing and reasoning with the people, and he continues there for about two years uh, with Jews and Greeks hearing the word of the Lord, and then that kind of brings us to our passage today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to be starting with verse 11. I'm going to read this to you through the end of the chapter. It's getting to that point in my life where I've got to pull out my readers, so unfortunately... It says And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So the even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched His skins, his skin were carried to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the Jew Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, "I adjure you." By the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them to be found. It came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved uh, in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Rastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know from, that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul he has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only in this trade of ours may come into dis- disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Armidas may be counted as nothing, and that, that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius with Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the uh, Assyriks, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither uh, sacrilegious nor blasphemers of the goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Father, we come to you in order as we look to your word, Lord, we know that you desire to speak to our heart. Lord, you desire to be in relationship with us, Lord, that we would be changed by your word, and Lord, that we would be living for you. Lord, I don't know where at. Everyone is this morning in their own hearts and their own minds. And the things that that are happening from this week and even this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with you. It would hear from you. We love you. For it's in Jesus' name, Amen. And uh, as I was thinking about this passage this morning, or actually uh, uh, this past couple of weeks and. And preaching on chapter 19 and reading this passage, uh, one thing that really jumped out to me is the words, the way. The way. And we see Paul and we see his companions all throughout the book of Acts. We see the church all throughout the book of Acts proclaiming the gospel from city to city to city. We see the church. We see the word of the Lord prevail throughout. We see people getting saved, coming to Christ and being baptized, whole households coming to Christ. God is at work in a tremendous way. And it talks about the way. And there was, a, uh, there was resistance to the way. And I thought about, well, what is the way? So this morning... We're going to talk a little bit about it. I'm going to share with you um, what is the way and marks of the way. Um, So when I think about what is the way, Jesus said, and uh, you've often heard uh, from the pulpit up here, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what are... The marks of the way. If Jesus is the way, what are those? What are those marks? If you have your bulletin, you can follow along and uh, fill in blanks. Um, make your own notes as well. But the first mark of the way are disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus. We see Paul in this passage was a disciple of Jesus. He was being used in extraordinary ways to see the gospel. Proclaimed, see lives changed. In Matthew four nineteen, Jesus calls his uh, d- disciples Peter and Andrew, and he calls them to himself, and he says, "Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." So then you have to ask, well, what is what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And I, I think it it begs repeating, and us knowing and understanding what our definition of a disciple is. And uh, so what is a disciple? The first first thing I want to point out is, in this verse, it says, Come follow me. A disciple is one who is following Jesus. One that is following Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is one who has repented of self-rule, and accepted the free gift of salvation. Jesus is the way, the way to restored relationship with Him. In John 14:5 and six, Thomas said to him, "Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way?" And again, as you heard a minute ago, Jesus said to them, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul, from our passage today, knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's changed, his life was changed forever. In that one moment, he gave up who he was, He gave up Paul as ruler of his own life. He gave up religion as his ruler and accepted Jesus as his new way of life, as Savior. Following Jesus, being in relationship with him became Paul's driving force his driving passion for the gospel to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. We see it all throughout, all throughout Paul's missionary journeys from city to city to city to city. He was in relationship with Jesus and it changed who he was. That leads us to point number two. A disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus. Think about your own life. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, are you being changed? Are you being changed by him? Hmm. A disciple is being changed from one who is worldly to one who is Christ-centered, Christ-like. This means the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, teaching, convicting, shaping you to become more like him. Okay. How do we see this in the life of Paul? Paul was radically changed by Jesus. The Holy Spirit was at work in him and through him. Paul was a former persecutor of the church, a killer of Christians, and changed into a disciple of Jesus and a follower of the way. That only happens through the power of Christ and his resurrection. Verse 11, again, tells us that that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. He was changed by Jesus Being used by him. And that leads us to our third point. A disciple is one who is on mission with Jesus. Who is on mission with Jesus. When we experience who God is and what he cares about, our perspective changes. Our perspective changes. We start to care about the mission of Christ. It's no longer about me, but it's about him and what he would have me to do. We understand that we are here for a purpose and desire to serve God's kingdom. We're following him, we're being changed, and we're on mission with him. We become more focused on the mission of Christ to reach the world. Do we see that in the life of Paul? Yes, we do. He was on mission with Christ to reach the world with the gospel. God calls his followers to follow him, to walk closely behind him so that they may be in relationship with him. He's preparing us for his mission, his representation to the world. In this passage, the way, translated in Greek means way of life, a way of life. Think about the life of Jesus and his disciples. Did he spend time with them? All of his time. He worked with them. He walked alongside them. Disciples lived with him. They ate with him. They ministered with him. They went on mission with him. Think of story after story in your mind, through scripture, through the gospels, where Jesus was leading and teaching, shaping his disciples. The woman at the well, The feeding of the 5,000, Story after story, where Jesus was encountering, he was, he was living with his disciples. They were connecting with him. Following Jesus is a way of life. It's the way to life eternal. In Acts chapter 4, we see disciples of Jesus, evidence of the way, Jesus in them, and in the church. If you want to turn with me over to Acts chapter five. It's in verse seventeen. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. God was at work to tell about this life. In Acts chapter 4, with uh, Peter and John, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Common men, uneducated men, people like me and you, God used in powerful ways. When we're following him, when we're being changed by him, and when we're on mission with him. All throughout the book of Acts, we see evidence of the way. There in Acts chapter 5, we also see in Acts chapter 9, 13, 18, 19, 22, 24, 28. All throughout the book of Acts, it talks about the way, the way of life. Paul was of this same life. He encountered Jesus and was changed. He was empowered by the resurrection of Christ and emboldened by the Spirit. Again, think about your own life. Are these characteristics of your own life? Number two marker of the way. Opposition to the way is going to be present. We see it in this passage, in chapter 19. Opposition by way of life. The world often says, a life of self-seeking, me thinking, is the way. We see it in our world today. Everything is about me. Everything is about me. In this passage, we see it played out in several different ways. Way number one, we see religion versus relationship. Religion versus relationship. In this story here about the seven sons of Sceva, uh, they sought to use the name of the Lord with no relationship with him. In uh, Verses 9 and 23, we see this opposition. It says, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, and about that time arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And we see these sons of Skeva in this passage here. And it says, I adjure you by the, the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? These guys were trying to cast out this demon with no power. No power of the Holy Spirit, no relationship with Jesus we often seek to practice a form of the way but find no power due to no presence of the Holy Spirit. How many people do you know that practice religion but have no relationship with Jesus? I spent my childhood practicing religion instead of relationship with Christ. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I knew about who Jesus was. I knew what he did on the cross. I knew that he died, he buried, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. I knew that he died for my sin. But I practiced religion. I tried to be a good person. I tried to do the right thing. I tried to make the right decisions always wondering if I'd ever make it to heaven. What would be that one thing that I would do and I would miss heaven by that much? And it plagued me all throughout my childhood. But I was practicing religion and not living in relationship with the Lord. Later on in high school, I came to Christ. And for the first time, I understood that it wasn't about me. It was about what Christ did for me. And that change happened, and I became a follower of Christ. And he began to change me. And I wanted to be on mission with him. That change happened. There's opposition by way of idols. In this passage, we see these businessmen. Okay, Verses 24 and 25. It says, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Often we're driven by money and power. By money and power. That is our idol. Man-made religion is often our idol. Verse 26, says, And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. What? They fashioned their own idols. These men... These man-made idols come in many forms and seem to offer fleeting and unfulfilled promises to prosper. When I was thinking about this passage, uh, I was on Facebook the other day, and uh, I uh, came across uh, Aaron Lewis's, Pastor Tim Christie's son, uh, Brad, his wife Aaron, and she posted this picture of Charlotte. I'm not going to show the picture. I don't have permission to do that. But I will describe it for you. Uh, there's a picture of Charlotte, and she's in her, uh, her high chair. And she has a binky in her mouth with, with the animals that are hooked to it, you know. So she's got one in the mouth, and she has another binky in her right hand with an animal on it. And she has another binky in her left hand. With an animal on it. Okay, so she has all three of these binkies in her, uh, next to her, and one in her mouth. And Aaron's uh, title says, "Weaning her off a binky might be rough." I can't handle this girl. Okay, and I got to thinking about uh, this passage and uh, and this picture. And when you think about your kids, and they had a binky, and, my, of course, Megan and both my girls had binkies exactly like this. And, uh, and, and what I saw in that picture was, this is my comfort, this is my security. Okay? And she had those, had those binkies. She's like, I am not giving these up. Okay? But there's, there's, a, there's a false... Narrative there. There's a false comfort that's in those binkies, because when you really think about it, those are going to go away. And really, Charlotte finds her comfort and her security in mom and dad, but those are a false, a false comfort and a false promise in her life. There's a uh, uh, a a quote by Andy Crouch in his book, Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. And it reads like this. It says, All idols begin by offering great things for a very small price. All idols then fail more and more consistently to deliver on their original promise while ratcheting up their demands, which initially seemed so reasonable for worship and sacrifice. In the end, they fail completely even as they make categorical demands. In the memorable phrase of the psychiatrist Jeffrey uh, Satinover, idols ask for more and more while giving less and less until eventually they demand everything and give nothing. Now, maybe a stretch from a binky to an idol. But we do that, whether it's money, whether it's idols made by hands. The world is consumed with the increasing promises while only providing a false sense of comfort, security, and safety. Real comfort is found in Jesus, in life eternal through Christ. And then you see opposition through outrage that is drastically and dramatically opposed to the way. There was an outrage that 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 their trades would be in danger. Outrage that their goddess would be deposed from her magnificence. You see outrage fueled by confusion. Verse 32 through 34. says, Now some cried out of one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours... They all cried out with one voice, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians." Two hours of chanting, outraged, that's fueled by confusion, with claims that all of Asia and the world worshipped Artemis. Really? increasing confusion, leading to drastic and dramatic hours of chanting. Our, the world today may not be chanting greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, but they are chanting me. They are chanting idols. They are chanting what I want. Over and over and over, trying to drown out The way. Trying to drown out Jesus. The world believes it can drown out the way by all these ways of opposition, but it cannot. It cannot. Why? Your third point. The word of the Lord will increase and prevail mightily. Increase and prevail mightily. Over and over through the book of Acts, we see the proclamation of the gospel. We see it in the first part of chapter 19, verses 2 through 10. The word is proclaimed and reasoned in the synagogue, in the public places. Salvation comes to those who believe in Jesus. Baptism of believers who are giving testimony to what Christ has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul, over and over, was driven by the passion to to let the Jews know that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah that they're looking for. Jesus is the one that he was so opposed to has now changed his life. The word of the Lord increases and prevails in the lives of those he knows personally through salvation in Christ. God was doing extraordinary things through Paul's hands. Guess what? God does extraordinary things through his people today. Not just then. He does it through his people today. Are you a modern-day Paul? Proclaimer of the gospel. The word of the Lord increases and prevails over the words of the world or of man alone. Verses 13 through 15 Then some of the inner jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered and said to them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? The sons of Sceva tried to speak the name of Jesus, of Paul, over this possessed man. But how did they find themselves? Overpowered, beat up, naked, and wounded. The word of the Lord increases and prevails as confession and repentance becomes evident in the lives of his people. Verse 18. As says, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Lives were being changed. The word of the Lord results in life change. Verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. There's life change that happens through the proclamation of the gospel. It is increasing and prevailing mightily. So My question to you this morning is the same as it was for the sons of Sceva. Jesus I know. Paul I recognize. But who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Are you a truster of self? A looker to idols? A lover of money? Worshiper of everything except your creator? The person trying to work your way to heaven? Are you playing church? Living religion? Who are you? The word of the Lord that increased and prevailed in Paul's day is the same word today. It's the same word for us today. Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you trusting Christ for eternal life? Christ is the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except Through him. He gave his life on your behalf to cover your idols, your selfishness, your sin, my sin, my sin. sin. He paid the price for sin that you can't pay, that I can't pay. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. The other half of that. But the gift of God is eternal life. The way to eternal life. Romans 5.8. So God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The same message today as Paul was sharing then. Give him your life today. Turn from sin and self. Turn to him and trust in Christ alone. As we continue in worship, as the praise team comes, I'm going to lead us in prayer And as we sing, allow God to speak to your heart. Do you know him? Are you following him? Are you being changed by him? Are you on mission with him? Is he your way? Is he your truth? Is he your life? I'm going to lead us in prayer. Today, maybe you don't know him. You don't know the way. My prayer is that today will be the day of salvation. Maybe for others. Play in religion. Play in church. Today is the day repent and turn to him. We saw it in this passage. People were changed. They gave their life to him. They were changed. Behaviors changed. New patterns were set in motion. That could be you today. Let's pray together. Father. As I come to you. Lord, I ask that there's somebody here this morning that that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would just pray, Lord, I I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from you. And Lord, today, I I give you my heart and I give you my life and I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I want to be changed by you. Come into my life. Save me from who I am. I'm trusting you. Maybe for that person here this morning that's been playing religion, playing church, they would just pray, Lord, I I give my heart and my life to you. I turn from the sin that's in my life. and I'm trusting you. I want to follow you. Show me your word. Show me your truth. Help me to follow you the way that I should. Father, we're thanking you and we're praising you. We ask that you would move in this time of song, that lives would turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.